thinner and smaller does not always mean faster and better and, you know, more fit and more fueled. Um, you know, no matter what your body size is, like you have the potential to do whatever you want to do. And just because you're not, you don't look like an Olympic athlete doesn't mean that you can still PR and doesn't mean that you should be smaller. Um, I think there's a huge misconception in our society about like what healthy looks like or what healthy should look like. So here's the question. How do runners like us remain active, get stronger, and heal from injuries without being told to stop running and create a healthy life for ourselves so we can continue to hit PRs well into our 40s and 50s? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, physical therapist, running coach, and creator of Spark Physical Therapy, where we help active adults be able to run without aches and pains so you can feel good about yourself again. Welcome to the Healthy Runner Podcast. All right, welcome and thank you for tuning in to episode 87 on the Healthy Runner Podcast. And we are talking about a very important topic for runners, and that is proper fueling and finding out if you are underfueling as a runner. So runners, I want to know from you today, do you train hard every day, but don't seem to be getting over that hump in your running? Do you always feel like you lack energy during your workday or your workouts? Do you keep getting injured all the time and you can't pinpoint a specific cause? Are you not sleeping well or always waking up starving? Well, this is one episode, if you answered yes to any of these questions, this is one episode that you're going to want to pay close attention to because I have the expert for you. I am grateful to have on the show registered dietitian, nutritionist, Brooke Zarnecki. Brooke is a registered dietitian, nutritionist uh, for runners with Intentful Nutrition. She is passionate about teaching you to learn how to fuel and fuel your best through food and teaches her clients to ditch the diets and nourish your body. Welcome to the show, Brooke. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, we're excited to have you on. And this is a very, very important topic, um, not only informative, but I think it is a very, really important safety topic, essentially. And I think a, a lot of runners aren't really aware of this topic. So I'm really excited to be able to bring some light to this topic on the Healthy Runner podcast, because we really haven't kind of, we've had a bunch of nutrition episodes, but we really haven't talked specifically about this topic. And I know you specialize in this. So I was really, really excited uh, that you agreed to come on the show. What Brooke is going to do in this episode, we're going to really talk about this topic of underfueling and what you need to know about this serious condition that runners can get um, called relative energy deficiency in sport or REDS and how does it affect your running performance? Um, Brooke is going to kind of educate us on who is at risk for REDS. What are the signs and symptoms that you could be under fueling as a runner? How do you test for it? Um, how do you know if you're properly fueled? Um, for your training and how as runners, can we prevent under fueling? And then also 
Um, we're going to get into the topic of for the female runners or women runners out there, how do you thrive through the middle age years and menopause without dieting? So Brooke, the first question we asked all our guests on the show is we start out with a little dynamic warm up. So <laughs> tell us where are you from and what do you do? Yeah, so I am from Anchorage, Alaska. Um, my husband is in the military, so we are not actually like from Alaska. That's what we are currently residing. Um, I am originally from Syracuse, New York. So uh, we are, you know, orange just thriving men. up here in Alaska, but it's cold. <laughs> the orange men. Yeah. Syracuse. Yes. I used yes. to root for Syracuse as a kid. I just like the orange men. I don't know. I remember having a Syracuse at and really? used to follow them. Yeah. <laughs> you guys got a lot of hills up there. That's what I know. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Yes. Yeah. Um, and if you hear anything, uh, outside, we live on an air, like on base. So there's just like airplanes all around. So if I hear like rumbling or something, it's probably the planes. Um, and so what I do, I am a runner, I'm a dietitian, and my passion is really helping athletes understand their physiology and tuning into that and nourishing their body properly without restriction, without worrying about, you know, weight gain and eating too much. So I really like to empower my athletes to eat their best, fuel their best, and in turn, feel their best on their runs and during the races. I love that. And that just embodies everything that we are about here at Healthy Runner. So, um, Brooke and I actually um, met through one of our kind of business coaching uh, programs. And I love all of kind of what Brooke stands for. And I knew that she would be able to bring uh, some great, great foresight into this topic today. So I'm excited um, that you are here and I'm excited to be back in the saddle as last week was a vacation week for me. I was with the family in Disney. I'm actually drinking out of my Epcot Food and Wine Festival <laughs> cup right here. Um, so we got a lot of uh, nutrition last week at the Food and Wine Festival, drinking and uh, eating around all the countries there. Um, try it. to keep it, try to keep it as healthy as possible. But we were on vacation, <laughs> so when on vacation, you know, you you have to be able to enjoy food, right? And Absolutely. I'm of the mindset of, you know, not eliminating things from my runner's, you know, plans and being able to have that day or, you know, the weekend where you can enjoy food. And then, you know, usually the work week, you get back on track and you get consistent. And I know uh, you believe in a lot of that as well. But yeah, we had a good time around the food and wine festival. You ever do that at all? Disney, Epcot? I've done Epcot, but honestly, I was so young that I don't really remember much about Epcot and I couldn't enjoy it. So I should go back like now that I'm in my 20s and enjoy it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, you definitely um, enjoy much of that. And there were some great as uh, for those of you that follow me on kind of uh, Instagram there at Spark Your Training, I shared a lot of some great running tips, by the way, uh, for you, those of you who like to run at Disney. And I guess I'll share here real quickly, just because I have the mic, um, because it's <laughs> something that's frustrated me for so long, because we are such a Disney family. We love going down, we pretty much go once every year. My daughter is uh, 15, and I think she's been to Disney 13 times. 
Um, so yeah, when I'm there, I always continuously train, like I can't not exercise. Right. And it's always frustrated me that the roads in Disney property, like literally don't have sidewalks and there's like no shoulders to them. So like when you go for your run, it's like, you'll get like the workers, like going to work extra early, like flying down the roads and you have to jump up on the curb and like dodge (laughs) them. And so that's like been my biggest pet peeve of late, but, um, I'm really excited that I found out that number one, we stayed at Oak Key West last year, and there's a nice long path that you could run through the golf courses to Disney Springs, through Saratoga Springs, do a nice long run. And then this latest um, time last week uh, where we stayed, we were able to actually you know, run throughout all the Epcot resorts. So we stayed at Beach Club. So I was able to do some a nice 10 mile long run and oh, I was safe. There was a path. You run to Hollywood Studios. So for those of you who are uh, love Disney and you want to stay healthy and be able to get your runs in when you go to Disney, check out my post on Instagram uh, where I share uh, much of that. So let's get into today's topic. And really the first question that I have for you, Brooke, is um, what is relative energy deficiency in sport or REDS and how does it affect running performance specifically? Yeah, so just to talk about RADS first. So relative energy deficiency in sport. You may have heard of like the female athlete triad in earlier years. So this is kind of like a revamped version of that to include both males and females. And it incorporates more uh, signs and symptoms and more physiological processes. So basically what happens when someone has RADS is they are not getting enough energy through food. And what happens when our body, especially when we're an athlete, when we don't get enough energy through food, our body turns to our muscles and our bones for for energy. And obviously this is not a good thing because we wanna preserve our muscles and preserve our bone mass. So, you know, we start to see a lot of different side effects of this. And specifically in running, some of the first warning signs is if someone is just like extremely fatigued on their runs for an extended period of time. Um, It can take months and months for this to compound the RADS, but this is if you're consistently under fueling for, you know, weeks, months, years, those kind of things. Um, So what you start to see is people just become extremely exhausted. They're not recovering like they used to. They can't do the distance that they used to do their rate of perceived exertion is increasing. So you feel like you're working harder for like the same distance or the same workout. Maybe you feel like you should be getting more fitter, but you're not. So you're just kind of staying stagnant and maybe even decreasing in your performance. So that's like the very first, you know, red flag warning sign to your body. Okay. So yeah, the, the female athlete triad, I think definitely as a physical therapist, like I've learned all about that. Um, you know, in my schooling and, you know, I, I specialize in sports medicine. So that was like a big mm-hmm. thing in like ACL injuries and then also fractures. And, you know, that was kind of like red flag screening wise. So this is interesting because I have heard about the REDS, you know, these last couple of years, because like you mentioned, it is kind of new, but I think it's great to put it in that context that for those of us who are familiar with the female athlete triad, um, this is kind of that revamped version to include also males, which I think is important also to mention, right? That this could include, um, men as well as, uh, women. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, it's more like common in females, but what we're seeing, um, especially in the younger population, because, you know, 
kids are starting sports younger and younger, we're seeing it more affected in males and females now. So boys and girls, um, but it definitely doesn't discriminate against your sex at all at this point. So. Yeah. And I think that's a great point too. And, you know, a lot of us who are, you know, going to be honestly listening to this, um, Brooke, are, are going to be a lot of parents and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm starting to have uh, teenage uh, daughters um, as well. And I've worked in my career with, before I kind of specialize in working with runners, I specialize in working with dancers and gymnasts. I know this was kind of a big topic. And a lot of times I would need to, you know, bring up some issues that I was noticing from a clinician standpoint um, with parents um, to kind of address some of these issues. And I I guess who is, who is most at risk for RDS? Excellent question. Everyone, everyone is at risk. Uh, Typically we see a lot of RDS, like I said, in younger athletes, um, you know, middle school, high school, college, but it definitely does not discriminate against anybody at any point in their life. And I also think this is a great thing to mention too, that people in like their middle age, they've got a busy career, they've got young kids, often they don't have time to rest. They don't have time to, you know, take a break. So they're doing high intensity training, high volume training. They don't have time to like rest and reset, like, you know, maybe a professional athlete would. So they are actually at very high risk because their body is just on all the time. So it's not, you know, this age is more at risk and this age is not. Everybody is at risk, male, female, um, young, old, and, you know, there's definitely, we're going to talk about the signs and symptoms, but just so everybody is aware, like it can happen at any point during your lifetime, um, no matter what your weight is too. So a lot of people assume that just, you know, oh, if you're skinny, you're more at risk. That's, you know, not true at all. Your BMI does not discriminate against RADS either. So anybody at any size can develop RADS at any point in their life. Okay. No, that was good. I'm glad that you differentiated that. And is this, I guess we can kind of take care of that. Is this considered an eating disorder or not necessarily? It could be associated, but not always. Is it one of those kind of things? Great question. So definitely not, not always. Um, it's certainly associated with somebody who has an eating disorder or disordered eating, but um, it definitely, again, does not discriminate against that regardless of your relationship with food, I think a lot of people just don't know that they're underfueling, and, you know, something will come up on a blood test or they're, they'll be getting stress fractures. And like, I'm not really sure what's going on. And it's like, well, Hey, you've got, uh, you know, relative energy deficiency. And they're like, well, I had no idea. Um, so yeah, definitely, you know, somebody that has an eating disorder is definitely at increased risk just because they're not getting enough food. Um, but you can also, you know, not be getting enough food without even, you know, attempting to, or without trying, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, that does make sense. Thank you for clarifying that. And I think you bring up a good point as far as, you know, who's at risk because yes, from like my clinician background, it's always like, you know, whenever I have the middle school or high school or college age, usually female, right. Like who is having possibly, you know, stress fractures, you know, that stuff goes on in my head, but like now working with many of the clients I work with are middle-aged runners. And Mm -hmm. I, I work with a lot of moms and a Mm -hmm. lot of moms are busy. 
they're working, yes. they're taking care of the kids. Like, heck, I know my house, like my wife is working full time, taking care of them, you know, taking them to all their activities. Yes. And a lot of times they forget to eat and mm -hmm. they just are like, oh, I'm so busy. Like I didn't have any time. And, you know, I'll be on coaching calls with clients all the time. And, you know, they're like, well, yeah, I didn't eat because I really didn't put myself first. Right. And yes. they're taking care of everyone else. Exactly. Themselves. Um, exactly. So I, I think, you know, we should keep that in mind as far as, you know, who is at risk. It's not just the, you know, adolescent kind of athlete or cross country athlete. Um, and kind of the, the, also brings up a point that we didn't mention in the beginning. I think your background is very unique because not only are you a dietitian and you specialize as a nutritionist, but you've been a runner your whole life, correct? We didn't really uh, touch upon that. Yes. I've been a runner since like, as soon as I, like as early as I can remember, um, my dad got me into it. And like, at first it was, I would ride beside him, like while he was running. Um, and then eventually like, he's like, well, you're going to run today. We're not bringing the bike. And I was like, there's no way I can do it. <laughs> um, so that was like how I got into it. And it was, you know, ever since then I ran in high school, I ran in college competitively and I'm about two years out of college now. And I took, you know, a little break from running, but I, it was a much needed break. Now I have a whole different perspective on, on running and what it means to be, you know, a competitive athlete and that kind of thing. So yes, running is my passion. I love it. It will always be a part of me as much as sometimes I wish it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. How, how long of a break did you take after you uh, graduated? So it was kind of a forced break, not going to lie. Um, I didn't want to, uh, but I had tendonitis. I developed posterior tibial tendonitis and I was in denial for a long time about it. Um, I was going through my dietetic internship. I didn't, wasn't making an income, um, wasn't taking care of myself and thought, you know, well, I'm not an athlete anymore. So I don't really need to eat as much. I don't need to, you know, work out as much, stretch as much PT as much. And yeah, I developed tendonitis and I, it was a long time. I think I probably went six to eight months without running and then took me another eight months after that to fully recover. So a year and a half of like really, you know, low mileage, no mileage. And it was very different than the previous four years of me being in college. So definitely learned a lot through that for sure. Wow. Yeah. And that actually brings up a good point that I should, um, yeah, posterior tibial tendonitis. I think that might be the next kind of running injury deep dive. Um, yes. We've covered like all the the most common ones like plantar fasciitis, mm -hmm. Achilles pain, hamstring, tendinopathy, um, runner's knee, IT band, but posterior tibial tendonitis is another common one. And I think uh, I'm going to do a deep dive on that one um, because there are some definitely, and I'm sure you probably keep up with some exercises, you know, that yeah. will kind of keep you healthy. Um, so that's a, that's, that's one that I think, I think I'm going to put that on the list that we're going to do a future one. episode on uh, posterior <laughs> tibial tendinopathy. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And what event in college did you uh, run? So uh, cross country was my baby. Uh, so that was the 6k. And then in track, I would, I would do the 5k primarily. Okay. So now post-college, what distances do you like to run? Are you like a 5k runner or 10k? Interesting. So I haven't quite decided yet. I really do think the half marathon is my distance though. I did a 6k at the beginning of the summer. I did a 10k a couple weeks ago, and then I just did a half marathon yesterday and the half marathon was my favorite by far. So I think I'll be a half marathoner. 
Okay. All right. Nice. Yeah. yeah that's my favorite distance by far is the mm-hmm. half marathon. Um, and yeah, like with you being in Alaska, how does that work out? Like with you getting in your runs, like, are you <laughs> going to be able to run outside all year round or no Do people in Alaska just not run in the winter? Well, believe it or not, there's a, a huge running community up here. Um, and you put, so what I did last, last winter is honestly, the winters here are a lot less harsh than like upstate New York and maybe like the Midwest. Cause there's not really a lot of wind. We don't get wind chill up here. Um, so it's very fair to run. It's just the ice and the snow. So I had to put little uh, screws in the bottom of my shoes. And then some people wear ice bugs and you can run normally. I mean, as normal as possible on snow and ice with those things on. So it was actually a lot of fun and I feel like it's easy on the joints, but after a while you're like, okay, I want some dry pavement to get some turnover in my legs. So it's a lot of base mileage, but it's fun. Yep. Yeah, I can see that. And yeah, that definitely helps with you, uh, you know, being familiar with all the lake effect snow and all of that in the Syracuse area. Um, At least you didn't like go from like Florida to Alaska. Yes. Yes. (laughs) All right, let's go. We've been digressing here, but this is uh, like, I've never actually interviewed someone who is currently living in Alaska. So I'm just like interested in all things Alaska, (laughs) but let's get back on topic here. And we talked about who's at risk for REDS. Um, So what are the signs and symptoms um, that you could have as a runner if you are under fueling? So, okay, there are so many signs and symptoms. So I'm gonna just like start rattling them off and you like stop me if you have like a question about one, um, but we will just dive right in. So there's many different like body processes that are affected. So um, the first one that we talked about was the first sign and symptom is like just extreme exhaustion, extreme fatigue. Maybe you're having trouble sleeping. You're not getting that recovery that you think you need. Um, another one we talked about was the increased rate of perceived exertion. So, you know, you feel like you have to work harder and push harder. Um, another one is loss of menstruation. This is a huge one for women. And if you have lost your period, like, or it's irregular or different than it used to be, and your training has increased, this is like a huge red flag. Um, and no matter what your doctor tells you, I promise you that going on birth control is not going to fix the problem. Um, it is just going to mask the problem. And we aren't going to actually know like, Hey, when am I eating enough? So that period is super, super important for female athletes. And I'm so surprised all of the time at how many women tell me that they didn't know that it it was, it wasn't normal for them to lose their period as a runner. So I think a lot of times there's just not a lot of education out there, a lot of misinformation and everyone says, Oh, it's normal. You know, don't even worry about it, but it is absolutely not normal. So, um, that is a huge, huge red flag for women. Um, another one is increase in injuries. So if you have like a recurring injury or you feel like you can get up and running for, you know, two, three months, and then before long you get right up to your volume, you're like, yes, I feel good about this mileage. And then bam, another injury, another big red flag. Um, what else do we have here? So another big one that not a lot of people know about is like moodiness or increased anxiety. So what happens when like our hormones start malfunctioning. So this may be accompanied with loss of period. Um, you can become more moody. You can become more anxious as your hormones are kind of going haywire. Um, another thing that we don't really know, um, happens is decreased metabolism. So your metabolism starts to slow down and you may be able to feel like more sluggish again, coming back to that exhaustion feeling. 
What is another one? Oh, iron deficiency anemia. So having anemia isn't always directly correlated with REDS, but it's often coupled with other signs and symptoms. So as I'm like listing all of these off, if you have like one of these, don't like automatically assume that you have REDS, but usually it's like a culmination of a lot of things. And that's why it's like sometimes very hard to diagnose. Um, unexplained weight loss. If you have lost weight and you're eating the same, doing the same, and you've just, you keep losing, you don't know why, another big red flag. Um, GI symptoms. So I actually had this happen to me in college. Um, I thought that I was developing uh, a gluten sensitivity and I wasn't able to tolerate gluten for much for you know, a couple months. And I was like, what's going on? Like, I have never had food allergies before. And I thought that I had gluten. So I cut it out. And what this does is you're eating less again, and maybe your GI symptoms kind of go away, but again, you're masking the problem and covering up the root cause of the problem, which is under fueling your gut becomes inflamed. And this causes like large molecules, like lactose and gluten to not be able to get through that gut permeability and that gut barrier and be digested. So your gut barrier kind of starts to break down, become inflamed, become upset. And that's why a lot of people say like, I can't tolerate dairy or I can't tolerate gluten. Um, often it's tied to underfueling or not eating consistently. Uh, to go along with the GI symptoms, constipation, diarrhea, uh, those kinds of things are all associated with underfueling as well. And then couple more here, um, osteopenia and osteoporosis. So I actually see this a lot with, uh, middle-aged women. They'll say like, I just got a DEXA scan done and my doctor diagnosed me with osteopenia. I'm 40 years old. What's going on? Um, again, another major red flag to look at your diet and look at what you're eating. So again, cause RADS causes your muscles and your bones to be broken down instead of using food for energy. Um, so that's why that occurs. And then we can talk about um, cholesterol too. Elevated cholesterol is actually a sign of RADS as well. So lots wow. of different things to look at. <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely a lot there. And some of those I didn't even know about. Um, so that was good that you brought those up because I feel like, yes, there are a lot of runners who probably just listened to that and was like, I have this, I have that. Does that mean I have this? And hopefully we'll be able to kind of shed some light, um, you know, during the rest of this chat, but yeah, definitely don't freak out and think you have this right away yeah. uh, without getting properly diagnosed by a medical professional. Um, Absolutely. so is there a specific test for this? Um, can we test for it or is it basically like a history and, you know, asking these questions and kind of coming up with the diagnosis? I wish, I wish there was a test. <laughs> okay. Um, but that's why it, this is such a hard thing to diagnose. And it's a hard, it's, this is why it goes undiagnosed for so long. And it's not really well known is because there's not a test. Um, there's many different things that like we can do, um, for nutrition specifically, like we look at, I mean, a food diary, like that's as basic as it gets, but you know, a lot of times it's kind of looking at where you started and where you are now. And, you know, a lot of assessment of like how you're feeling, um, stress level, that kind of thing. So it's not something that you just like stumble upon. You don't just develop this within days or you don't just develop this within weeks. It's like months and months and months of not getting enough energy where you would develop this. If that, you know, 
is helpful and kind of comes comes the nerves a little bit because it's not something that is just immediately happens. This is a long time. So. Okay. All right. And yeah, we have uh, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining here. So Kelly is an RD um, as well, and she works with college age population. So she works at a university and she kind of comments that she sees a lot of students um, that sees her for disordered eating, not always athletes though. And Mm -hmm. so she talks about the dangers of underfueling a lot. And this is such an important topic. So she's happy that we're talking about this right now. And she also uh, comments that she's had bouts of posterior uh, tendon to the Alice tendinopathy. And so she feels your frustration there. And uh, she would like this to be an episode, a future episode um, as well. <laughs> and uh, Teresa comments that she did a running cruise in Alaska and it was amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so cool. <laughs> um, and Coach Katz says she's very familiar with posterior tibial tendinopathy and coach Whitney's here on the live. She asked a great question, which was actually my next question. So we're going to get to that coach Whitney. And then um, at the end um, we can get to this topic too. I know coach Lou also um, wants to hear your thoughts about intermittent fasting. So at some point we'll touch upon um, that topic. I'm sure that's not the first time you've heard that. (laughs) It's probably a popular one. that you uh, get to uh, commonly. And Jen, thank you so much for joining. And Dean, thank you so much for joining as well. Um, So I I think we're gonna get to your question, Dean, as well um, after this next question. So I think this will be the best order here to go with, I know you talked about kind of signs and symptoms. We talked about why we don't wanna be underfueled as a runner. Um, So how do we know if we are properly fueled which is pretty much um, what Coach Whitney was wondering is, you know, should we be fueling, um, you know, on a regular basis? And how do we know how much to fuel with? Yeah. So also I want to mention something too, like you can be under fueling and not have RADS. So just because you're under fueling does not automatically mean you have RADS. I just want to clear that up. This is like extreme, you know, under fueling for a long period of time. Um, So this will be helpful to kind of help kind of sort that out to make sure, you know, we're on the same page about this too. Um, but thank you, you for that clarification. Oh, That's your clarification. Yeah. Because I feel like if I was listening to this, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I'm like so nervous right now. Um, so just, yeah, I just want to like put that out there. So, um, how do you know that you're feeling properly? This is like such a hard question because I feel like a lot of us get so uh, used to this feeling of like, low energy and not eating enough. Like some people go like their whole life without eating enough and they just never know. Um, so typically like the the things that I look out for is typically when things start to go away. And what I mean by this is like the signs that you aren't eating enough are you have like immense cravings at night. So you go like all day, maybe you're like really busy all day. You have, you know, one meal, maybe a little snack, and then you get home and you're like, I want to raid, raid my pantry right now. Like I can't even, I, I can't focus on anything but food. Um, so that's a sign that like, Hey, I probably didn't eat enough today. Um, so when those, when that goes away, it's like, okay, my body is getting the fuel that it needs. It's not, you know, asking me or demanding food for me. Um, sometimes people say like, I just lack willpower. That is like in my dietitian brain, I'm like, Ooh, Ooh, this is not just, you know, willpower. This is like a fueling problem. So it's not that something is wrong with you. It probably simply just means that you need more fuel. Um, another one 
that I talk about a lot is like you're sleeping, you're sleeping better. So you're, you feel more rested. You're not sore for like four days after your workout. So it's like, it's hard to tell when you're under fueling until you start fueling better. And you're like, holy cow, this is like something that I never even thought that I could feel. Um, so do you have specific questions for me, Dwayne, like different symptoms or anything like that, that you would say like, Hey, this might be a sign that I'm fueling properly. Yeah, I guess I, I think you pretty much covered, you know, I, I do find that a lot of runners will say that same thing of, you know, they get home and they just start like eating everything in sight. Right. And mm -hmm. trust me, I've been there before. Um, yeah. I've been there too, um, where I've been busy and I didn't eat enough. And I felt, uh, that is there a special or specific like prescription that you give your clients that you work with on, or does it all depend upon their activity level, their body weight, like a number of factors I would imagine. Definitely a number of factors. Um, the biggest thing that really like, I start where they're at. So I'm not just going to take somebody who's eating, you know, for example, like my fitness pal likes to spit out these insanely low numbers for anybody, no matter what they do. So 1200 calories, 1400 calories, 1500 calories is not enough for someone who is running, you know, multiple days a week. So we take somebody who's eating that amount and I'm not just going to say, Oh, add a thousand calories to your day and move on. Like we have to work up to it. So, you know, it's, it's a slow process and I add little by little, maybe we add a snack here, we add a meal here. So really we look at just the gaps and identify the gaps and then kind of build on from there. So yeah, it's not like I just throw, you know, a meal plan or something at you and say, Hey, good luck. <laughs> so, Right. Okay. All right. And then I guess this is a nice segue to Dean's question. Dean would like to know what is the best way to get into a good nutritional program um, for an athlete, um, especially if they're not working with a specific nutritionist? Yeah, great question. Um, there are a couple, honestly, the apps, I, the apps really, because they're geared towards weight loss. So yes, you can track your calories and that kind of thing. Um, that's a really good question. I don't have a specific program that I tell people to look at um, that's like, you know, free or, or something like that. But I guess tracking your calories could be helpful just to like get a baseline of like where you're starting and again, identifying those gaps. So I make sure that people are eating at least three meals a day. They're getting breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And oftentimes I tell people to add in snacks because they're just not getting enough and a good way to add energy without, you know, making these extravagant meals is to add snacks. Um, so that could be one. Another thing that I notice a lot is this goes both ways. I feel like a lot of people aren't getting enough carbs because there's this fear of carbs out there right now that, you know, carbs are bad carbs make us gain weight. So, you know, I always tell my athletes, more, more times than not, like you need to eat more carbs and also you need to eat more protein. So it's, it's really hard, you know, to give like a, a general, you know, guideline or general advice without knowing the individual, but you know, the consistent eating pattern is definitely key for everybody, like no matter what you're doing. So hopefully that helps a little bit. Let me take a quick pause from this amazing episode to share a really cool product that can help you stay safe while running. Knox Gear's signature product, the Tracer 360, 
keeps me safe and lit up from all directions during my 5.30 a.m. running. But now the days are getting longer and lighter here in the U.S. And I wanted to take a moment to share with you their amazing little Bluetooth speaker called the 39G because it weighs only 39 grams and is perfect for listening to podcasts like you are now or music during your run, also while keeping you in tune to your surroundings. I actually was fortunate enough to meet one of the creators of Knox Gear, Simon Curran, and Jamie Miles from Knox Gear as they shared Knox Gear's story and how they created their signature product using engineering principles. Pretty cool stuff and an interesting story to say the least. So I invite you to check out episode 43 on the Healthy Runner podcast to hear from the creator himself. Knox Gear is all about runner safety, and I am pumped to have them as a supporter of our healthy runner community, because in case you haven't realized, we are all about runner health and safety here. Running doesn't need to be painful, and it doesn't need to be risky and dangerous. Running should be that outlet providing us the mental clarity we all need to be the best human we can be to those around us, whether it's our family, our coworkers, or those in our communities. Just use the code HEALTHYRUNNER during checkout when placing your order at knoxgear.com to receive 35% off your purchase. Go ahead and give Knoxgear a try. Trust me, you will never feel safer. Now let's get back into our episode. Yeah, so from what I took away from that is just consistently eating. So definitely getting your three meals, but then also smaller snacks in there. And carbs are not bad. They actually fuel us for our running. And protein is important because we need our muscles to rebuild and they're the building blocks of muscles, right? So if you're exercising and whether it's running or doing your strength training in order to run, um, those muscles need that protein. And I think that's a, that's a big, um, you know, and I think I, I'll be the first to tell you, like, I definitely followed that like low carb diet, you know, probably all throughout my 20s and early 30s. And then, you know, started to see the the benefit to actually having more fuel on board in terms of like performance wise um, with my running. And, you know, we still get a lot of questions within our healthy runner community all the time of, um, and I guess this is a good segue to intermittent fasting of, you know, how to kind of, you know, what should you be eating before a run or intermittent fasting and, and those types of diets, you know, we've had many other uh, registered dietitians on the show who shared their thoughts, I guess, you know, what, what are your thoughts on intermittent fasting, Brooke? So I really, you know, I, I try not to be super judgmental about these diets because I know that every, something works for everybody, right? Like one thing is not, you know, the golden star for athletic nutrition. However, I am not a fan of intermittent fasting because of the stress response that it puts on our body. So I always like to come back to this too. Like if intermittent fasting was truly like the next thing, we would see Olympians doing this and we are not. Um, And that's because it puts our body under immense stress. And not only that, Um, we often don't get enough fuel as athletes, or it's hard to get enough fuel. So you're, you're shortening the window even more, um, to get your energy in. So two, two things there. And then the third thing is we fast every single night when we sleep. So, you know, we go seven, eight, nine hours without eating anyway, that's our body's natural time to fast. 
So I just want to kind of go back to the stress response and talk about why it's a stress response and why it's not helpful to your body. So when you are under stress, um, you know, whether it be a whole night of not eating, that's an immediate stress response. Um, and then when you add exercise on top of that, that is another stress response. So your cortisol levels are naturally high in the morning and eating something helps bring them down. And then when you go work out, you raise it back up again. But again, if you're eating properly, you're feeling properly, you're going to bring it right back down after exercise. So it's kind of like this double whammy with athletes and the stress response. Um, doesn't mean that it's not, you know, right for you. Cause I have heard of many people that it's, it works for them and it's great for them. And that's wonderful. Um, I do tend to find that females struggle a lot more with fasting than males. Um, I think it's because of our female hormones. So it's again, a lot of research with intermittent fasting is done in men and not women. So all you ladies out there, like keep that in mind. Stacey Sims is like the pioneer in women's hormones and running and athletics. So I highly recommend following her and listening to her podcast because she's diving into all this research. Um, and she is a huge fan of not intermittent fasting. And she explains it so much better than I do with like the cortisol and the stress response. But um, just so you guys kind of get of like where I'm coming from, that's my perspective on it. Doesn't mean it doesn't work for you, but that is my perspective. Okay. No, that, thank you for sharing. And yeah, I would, I would agree on all those fronts from, you know, the runners that I've worked with. And I think, you know, if let's play devil's advocate here is as we age, unfortunately, like you are a lot younger than I am, Brooke, but as we <laughs> age, our metabolism, you know, does seem to go down a little bit and, mm -hmm. you know, it's not as easy to stay as lean as we would like to stay as it was in our twenties, let's say, or even our sure. early thirties as I'm in my forties now. Um, you know, so for that runner, who's really looking to lose weight and their main goal is to kind of lose weight. And they say, you know, well, I have to do intermittent fasting because, you know, I need to lose weight. And I heard that if I lose weight, if I take off 10 pounds or I take off 15 pounds, then I'll be able to run faster and it won't hurt my knees as much to run. Mm -hmm. um, these are all things that I hear on a daily, weekly basis. Um, yep. You know, what, are you, what is your response to that? I absolutely love this question. We're coming up with all of the hot topics today. Um, so a lot of times when we, when our focus is on weight loss, what I find is that people burn themselves out so fast. Um, and that's because they're focusing on eating less and moving more. So they're automatically putting themselves in like this huge deficit, right? Um, so I am a huge advocate of health at every size and looking at your health from a behavior standpoint, rather than a numbers based standpoint. So what I mean by that is putting the focus on your behaviors and what you do on an everyday basis, your habits, um, rather than like weighing yourself every day or being, you know, really super cognizant of every single calorie that you're putting in your body, every single gram of protein that you're putting in your body, what are you doing in your control every single day to help you feel your best? Um, and this is, this is a really hard concept to get behind. And I, I mean, a lot of times I do um, still struggle with this myself as a dietitian because a lot of people will say, well, you can't deny that, you know, some people are unhealthy, but honestly, who are we to say? So that's like a whole nother conversation. But 
What I will say is as you age, it is very normal and very common for you to gain weight. And that is because as we age, having a little bit more of this fat protection is actually very protective um, if we fall or if we get sick. So not something that we normally talk about, but you know, the weight that you were at in your thirties is probably not the right weight for you when you get into your fifties and sixties. And, um, I worked a lot with middle-aged women when I first started my practice. And I know that middle-aged women really struggle with this too, um, because their hormones change and a whole bunch of stuff changes. Um, and it's hard. It really is hard. And I, I don't want to dismiss that. And like those feelings that people have when they put extra weight on, but I do want to challenge the mindset of asking, um, what does, you know, gaining a few pounds mean? Does that mean that you're unhealthy or does that mean that your body is trying to protect you? So, you know, a couple of different questions that I ask, but, you know, weight gain isn't always a bad thing, I guess is the point that I want to get across. Oh man. There's so much there that I just loved, <laughs> love to hear because our mindset and our approach to how you work with runners from a nutritional standpoint is kind of how I work with runners from a physical standpoint, right? And like injury prevention. And, mm -hmm. you know, there are no quick fixes. And we talk about this in our, you know, five tips to run, you know, strong and healthy, um, being consistent, consistency is key. And I just love hearing that from you from like a nutrition standpoint that, you know, my whole goal, you know, in the runners that I help is really to create injury free lifelong runners, right? It's not to only, you know, run your first half marathon or only run a marathon, just so you're crawling across the finish line totally, and yeah. with posterior tibial tendonitis, right? A tendonopathy, let's <laughs> pick that injury. And you're getting this like aching all the way down your shin and into your ankle and your foot is throbbing. Um, and it throbs every time after your long run, anytime you go for a long run, right? Like I want to create the habits, like you mentioned from a nutritional standpoint in terms of like exercise and running and training. Um, so I love that our minds are on the same wavelength in terms of, you know, not only looking at the short term. And like, I think so many, like many runners come into running because they're like, Hey, I'm going to make a change. Like my health yes. is not where it should be. And I know I've gained a lot of weight and I need to lose weight. So I see a lot of runners out there. A lot of runners look pretty fit. Um, right. And that's why, how a lot of people come into our community and I respect that. And I respect them for making that change in their lifestyle, but I also want them to, I just want to reiterate your point that it's a process and it's a lifestyle and it's going to take time and, and doing it the right way. And there's yes. a right way and there's a wrong way. And that yes. was the whole purpose of creating this whole healthy runner podcast is to share, bring on experts like yourself and share this information to do it the right way. So you don't basically do this, you know, intermittent fasting or this fad diet as you're trying to train for your first half marathon. And then mm -hmm. you, your body breaks down, either you get injured or mentally because your hormones, your cortisol levels, everything's all out of whack. And you just like hate running and you're mm -hmm. like, running is terrible. Like, you know, there's so many people I talk to too, is like, yeah, running is just so hard and I hate it and it's painful. And it's, you know, again, there's the right way and there's the wrong way. So what Brooke is sharing with you guys is how are you going to do this for the long run? Pun intended there, right? Yeah. And if you're looking for weight loss for the long run, then you have to fuel your body, 
in order to do that is not restrict and cut everything out. Um, yes. So I don't want to beat a dead horse there, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm just so passionate about this because I hear this all the time. And a lot of times, you know, when I'm working with my, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one clients, if it is that next level, I'll refer to someone like yourself, um, you know, to kind of get that kind of next level of care, but it's such an important topic. So thank you so much um, for sharing that. And I think you pretty much shared any other tips you have for um, preventing underfueling besides like getting in the three meals, getting in the snacks. Are there any other tips that you uh, would like to share to prevent underfueling? Just one last thing. Um, I'm really big on like identifying your hunger and fullness cues and, you know, being aware of what your body is telling you. I think that there's so much messaging out there on the internet about, you know, what to do when you're hungry. And it's like everything but eat. It's like, hey, if you're hungry, you should eat, you should eat food. Um, so, you know, listening to those hunger cues and really identifying like, what is my body trying to tell me? A lot of times we don't even realize that we're hungry. Um, you know, signs of being hungry is like starting to get unfocused. Maybe you're getting a headache. Maybe it doesn't have to be that your stomach is rumbling. Maybe you're starting to get anxiety. I know for me personally, I start to get anxious. Like my heart, my heart rate kind of goes up. If I haven't gone, you know, if I've gone way too long without eating, like those kinds of things start to happen to me before my stomach even starts grumbling. So, you know, just being aware of like what your body is telling you and listening to your body. I think that's such a, a message that gets really lost in our health and fitness world. And it's like, drink water, chew gum, or, you know, go for a walk and just try to ignore your hunger as long as you can before you eat. But that's like so counterproductive, especially for athletes. Um, it's just really important to like eat when you're hungry and be okay with that too. Like if you're hungry an hour after you ate, you probably didn't eat enough. So, um, and sometimes we just need permission and hearing that from somebody else to, to believe it and do it. So if this is you, like, please listen to your hunger and, and please, you know, give your body what it's asking for. So if you're craving carbs, if you're craving sweets, it's probably a sign that you're not getting enough carbs. So, you know, all of these things are kind of intertwined. And again, just coming back to listening to your body and, and doing what feels best is like what I'm a huge advocate for. So. Excellent. And that was actually a great um, topic to bring up because Sarah actually just asked um, within our Healthy Runner Facebook group, if you recommend following your cravings um, when having a rest day specifically and Ooh. feeling extra hungry. Yeah. So I know you just kind of talked about like listening to those cues that our bodies are giving us. How about a rest day? Love this. Okay. So if you I find that a lot of people, myself included, are like way hungrier on a rest day than they are on like a normal training day. And this is like the number one sign that your body just needs to play catch up. Like it's just, it's, it needs more on energy. It needs more calories. Um, so using a rest day as kind of like a fuel up day and like a, not, a, not like a storage day, cause you're not going to just immediately store fat, but like building those energy stores back up, building those glycogen stores back up on a rest day can be so powerful. Um, and kind of just like pushing through, oh, I'm not running today. I shouldn't eat as much your body is just, again, it's in repair mode and getting a little bit more energy is actually probably the best thing that you can do for yourself on a rest day. So yes, absolutely listen to what your body is telling you on a rest day because it probably needs it. All right. Excellent. Excellent. And then um, one other question that we had from Cheryl, um, she asked, I'm sure there's a common one you get as well. Uh, so what are good quote unquote, good carbs? Um, 
that you recommend? So this is a good question too for runners because there's a difference um, in what I would say. So like any carb is a good carb for a runner and the type of carbs that we use during running and before running is different than the carbs that we might use for like longevity and during throughout your day. Um, so I don't like to differentiate between good versus bad, but instead of like the utility of it. So what is it going to be used for simple carbs, things like, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say go out and like eat, you know, a bag of gummy worms, like before you run, you're probably not going to feel good, but simple carbs, things that are straight sugar, like, you know, white bread and, you know, you know, something, what pretzels or goldfish or something like that, those are great sources of fuel for our body during a run, but they might not keep you full when you're not running. So big difference there, but again, you know, focusing in on like potatoes and whole grains and rices, your legumes, those kinds of things are all carbohydrates that are not only going to give you energy, but also give you like a wide variety of vitamins and minerals too. So, um, cookies can all fit. Like all of these things can fit. Um, but the idea is like packing in more nutrient density wherever you can. Doesn't mean that every single thing has to be like so full of fiber and so full of vitamins and minerals, um, that you, you know, you can't have room for cookies. So hopefully I explained that. Okay. But that's a whole nother thing I could go on a tangent about too, um, is like the good versus bad and, and how to feel your body. So good question right. though. And I think really what, what you're talking about is it depends upon when you are going to be taking in those carbs, whether it's before a run or after a run, or is it on your off day? Mm -hmm. um, so thank you for reiterating that. And I know we touched upon this topic before, as far as the middle-aged, um, you know, runners are concerned, especially women, um, you know, any other tips, since I know you've had um, some experience working with a lot of them in the past, um, how, how can they kind of thrive through those middle age and menopause years um, without dieting and continuing to be able to run? Yeah. So again, focusing on like the quality of your diet and not restricting yourself. So thinking about those habits that you want to last for a lifetime, um, you know, dieting and restricting yourself and lowering your metabolism further by dieting is probably like the worst thing you can do, um, as a middle-aged woman, even though it might feel like that's what you have to do because you're, you're gaining weight. Um, but you know, things that really should be considered for a middle-aged woman is like, do you strength train? So strength training can be so protective for our joints, so protective for our bones. And, you know, women lose estrogen and estrogen is like an anti-inflammatory component of our body. Um, but our body compensates for that loss of estrogen. And this is a theory with middle-aged women. So we gain weight when we're in middle age, um, because estrogen is found in fat. It's a hormone. So our body tries to compensate for that and like piles on this fat in the midsection. And it's like, well, what the heck, right? Like your body will change composition. Um, and that's one of the theories about why is because you're like lacking that estrogen. So your body's trying to make up for it. Um, anyway, tangent, but, um, so again, focusing on the quality of your diet. So looking at those quality carbohydrates, um, making sure that you're sleeping well, stress management is also huge. I can't tell you the amount of women in their middle ages that are going through so many different life changes. Um, you know, whether it be a divorce, like a parent dies, their children are moving away to go to school. These are all huge life events that shouldn't be like 
you know, dismissed. And on top of all that, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So stress levels are high, like give yourself a lot of grace uh, through this time and understand that your body is going to change. Um, you can either try to work against it or work with it. Um, I'm really about like being educated and understanding like what the heck's going on and how can you best support yourself? Um, and you know, that shift of the quality carbohydrates can really make a big difference there. Um, and also alcohol consumption too. A lot of women don't sleep well, um, they're drinking more. And those two things are highly correlated, poor sleep and high alcohol consumption. Um, and it also doesn't help, you know, if you're trying to like lose those, you know, few pounds, alcohol really makes us resistant to weight loss as well. So um, hopefully I didn't go on too much of a tangent there, but I'm just so passionate about all of this stuff. It's awesome. So no. I love these questions. No, no, please. That was, that was great. And I, I think you brought up some great points there um, for us to keep in mind. And, you know, especially if you are a female going through those, you know, tough middle age, you know, times. And um, I think those are some things that probably people don't really think about too much. They just think about, oh, I need to run faster. And if I run faster, then I'll lose more weight. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that tends to lead to overtraining and they're running too fast for their runs and then they get injured and that's yes. when they usually see me or right. So that's, so I think you brought up some great uh, points there. So we are getting into our final stretch um, of the show here. So this is going to be the last question that I ask you, Brooke, and then you're off the hot seat. Um, so if you could change one thing about the misconception of fueling for running, what would that be? So I don't know if this is necessarily related to fueling, but just like an overarching message that I really want to drive home today is thinner and smaller does not always mean faster and better and, you know, more fit and more fueled. Um, you know, no matter what your body size is, like you have the potential to do whatever you want to do. And just because you're not, you don't look like an Olympic athlete doesn't mean that you can still PR and doesn't mean that you should be smaller. Um, I think there's a huge misconception in our society about like what healthy looks like or what healthy should look like. Um, so just know that you can be healthy at whatever size is right for you. Um, and that size is different for everybody. So my healthy is not the same as somebody else's healthy. And I just really want to drive that point home that smaller is not better. Thinner is not better. Um, and weight gain is not always bad either. Oh man, mic drop right there. I love it. I love it. And that is so much what we believe from our healthy running coaching crew. Um, I've seen so many runners who are feeling the best that they've ever felt, um, no matter what their size, right? And uh, thank you for bringing that up because I think that's so important for us to keep in mind because I think we do that whole comparison game, right? Uh, I think, it, I guess it's human nature for us to do that. And it doesn't necessarily uh, result in healthy, right? And a healthy runner does not mean a thin runner or a skinny runner, right? And so thank you so much for bringing that up. And yeah, Sarah says 100%. Linda says, so interesting. Thank you so much. Dina says, bravo. Well said. Beautiful <laughs> message. Um, so yeah, our community is not going to, uh, you know, they're going to agree with you. 1000% uh, because I know all the folks here in our healthy runner community have that same belief system. So thank you for bringing that up. And you, you've shared so much great information 
question here, Brooke. Um, you know, there's going to be runners who really resonate with your message and they're going to want to learn more about how you help runners. Um, how could they connect with you? Yeah. So the best way to connect with me right now is on my Instagram. Um, it's just at intentful nutrition and that's where you'll find me. My name is Brooke Zarnecki. Um, so look for my name after you search my Instagram handle, but that is the best way to get a hold of me. Um, and I love to connect with everyone there. If you have, you know, any ideas about what you want to see content wise, I love serving my community over there. So I'd love to have you and, and connect with you. So thank you doing so much. No, this has been such a joy. And I had a feeling that our conversation would go like this, um, just from, you know, our brief interactions that we've had. And, you know, this has been so informative. And I just love that your, you know, your belief system is very consistent um, with everything that our Healthy Runner coaching uh, team believes in. And guys, if you want to hear from more of Brooke in our Healthy Runner community, just type in Brooke into the comment box, um, because I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of folks who want to hear more from you, um, within our community. Um, and if you guys have found this, you know, helpful, hit that, like hit the love button on Facebook. If you're watching, um, you know, comment on YouTube, if you're watching the replay at the at spark, your training YouTube channel. Um, and if you guys are listening to this on the podcast and you're like crushing a run right now and you're like running and you're like, Yes, Brooke, preach. Yes, I agree. I agree. You know, share this episode with a running friend of yours who might need um, a little bit more positive messaging. You know, maybe they're, I don't know what they're following on social media and, you know, what influencers they're following on Instagram, um, but they might have some misconceptions about running. And um, I think you brought a lot of uh, great points about, you know, body image. Um, how we really view food, right? And how we view it from a lens of, you know, dieting, are we restricting it? And then really, you know, you really talked about the importance of the serious condition called relative energy deficiency in sport and REDS. So thank you for bringing that to light and, you know, sharing that um, with our community. I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate all of you guys who jumped on live uh, within Facebook here, or if you listen on the podcast or on our YouTube channel, remember every week we go live within our Healthy Runner Facebook group. So check out the events tab and you'll see what guests and what topics that we will have here during our live podcast episodes. And I appreciate all of you guys who jumped on. So Brooke, thank you so much again. I greatly, greatly appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Thank you so much. And like allowing me to share my messaging with your community. Very much appreciated. Yeah, and thank you guys again. And remember, as always, stay active, stay healthy, and just keep running. Until next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Runner Podcast. Can I please ask you for a couple of favors? Can you subscribe to The Sucker wherever you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever so you never miss another episode? You'll be notified when a new episode drops every Thursday. Can you also please leave me a rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts? What I want you to do is to tell them how awesome you are as a runner and then tell them what you have liked most about the show. I love to hear what you have to say. I read all of them and it means a lot to me. If you haven't seen the video version of this podcast, then head over to youtube.com forward slash spark your training and you can see the video version 
as well as our full video library of exercises that are specific to your running on the Spark Your Training YouTube channel. Also, if you like the content in this podcast, then you will like the community even better. Head over to our Healthy Runner free Facebook group so you can get all the bonus content, blog articles, and get your questions answered by myself and our team of Healthy Runner coaches. The fifth and final thing I want you to do is that you can help this podcast out by taking a screenshot wherever you're listening, whatever episode, and put it in your stories on Instagram and tag me. That is at SparkYourTraining. If you do this, I'll give you a shout out and repost it, sharing your running wins while listening to the podcast. More importantly, we'll be able to share this information with a lot more runners because that is the goal, guys. We want to get this information in front of as many runners as possible to help them stay healthy so they can stay on the road doing what they love. So take a screenshot, share it on Instagram stories, and tag me in it. You can also find out how I help runners as well as our brand new Healthy Runner Strength Program by visiting our website, sparkyourtraining.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I just love our Healthy Runner family. And remember, guys, let's stay active, stay healthy, and just keep running. Until next time.